0: Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 208. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have a returning guest, Ian Fox. Warm salutation to you and yours, Kip. Well, I'm glad that you make mention of them, because today we're going to be talking about what I think is a subtle but very important link between individuals and their people, be they friends, loved ones, family, etc., specifically along the lines of privacy. Because I've been thinking a lot about how, at least if you compare current human beings to our ancient ancestors, we don't only have more data and information traveling from us and to other people across information and other highways, but in a lot of senses we are more interconnected than ever. And with that come certain risks, specifically risks of privacy. To give one example, if I'm at a party, Ian, and you and I are two of 30 or 40 different guests, when you and I step aside to take a commemorative photo with one another, there's a good chance other people will be in the background. And with today's technology, there's a good chance their faces are completely identifiable. Add that to the fact that social media has very complex, sometimes scary algorithms that can identify a face with even a blurry photograph, and you may potentially be revealing that person's information and whereabouts. Not that they were doing anything wrong or even illegal, but you are sharing someone else's story by simply living and sharing your own life. And to me, that's a journey worth taking, exploring how our privacy and the things we do is actually linked very intimately to the privacy of those around us, sometimes in ways we might not expect. Talk about a surprising way to gather data. Many
1: corporations, including Target from the beautiful state of Minnesota, by the way, gathers such intense and vivid data about people customers in their stores, or in the ways that they interact with the company through their website, their app, their digital presence in any way. There's so much there that they, for example, can predict when someone is pregnant, whether or not they actually know that the customer is pregnant, depending on what they're buying, where they are in the store, and also the predictive tendencies of general buying habits. And this is a specific example in the retail area, but is a great magnifying glass for the number of matrices that we're operating under every day. That every business we enter into, every app we log into in a phone, or whether or not we actually did, is gathering amazing data about us and those that we are around physically, other technologies that we are around, and creating an amazing array of information about us, and then going off and selling it to the highest bidder. This really came to a head with the Cambridge Analytica situation or scandal in early 2018 in which a consulting firm, Cambridge Analytica, was revealed by a whistleblower to have been using and selling Facebook data which was allegedly given to them with permission from Facebook, although that's been contested, and using that data to manipulate the political tendencies and also the political actions of certain groups This was in England, but also the same techniques were used in America. For me, this was the most astonishing manifestation of this era of data privacy, not just whether we should or could be giving and taking this data, but also what's going to happen when amazingly smart people who are exploring all these different areas and ways of using our digital presences, how that can really manifest in our societies, which are often already fractured. So it's kind of terrifying, to me at least, but also completely amazing the capacity and, pun intended, the bandwidth that our
0: technology has on our everyday life. I especially appreciate the Cambridge Analytica example because the majority of their information was not gathered directly by users to whom they offered personality quizzes but because in taking those personality quizzes, users unknowingly agreed to allow their Facebook profiles to act as anchors or hubs from which Cambridge Analytica could gather data on their Facebook friends. And that was really one of the reasons I wanted to explore this topic, you as an individual may have the right to shatter and remove your own barrier of privacy but it seems like we live in a world increasingly where you can't pull one stick out of the stack and only affect that one stick we have become an increasingly interdependent network or jenga stack of people where if you affect one be it their privacy or their social well-being, you will affect many people. And in the positive, there's great hope in this. It means that we can band together as people, and that we are still socially connected to one another. But in the negative, there's a great deal to be lost while your back is turned, so to speak. And as we talk about Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, it's worth noting that people have very interesting behaviors on social media. To look at facebook specifically you can reveal when you've started a new job when you've graduated from an institution or when you had a baby or celebrated a marriage and i think because we get such a rush from seeing our connections comment like react to these actions we don't think about the alternative but we are of course sharing this information with a website potentially with the world and it's on that point that i'd like to bring up the distinction between privacy and intimacy. From my perspective, privacy can be broken. Privacy is an insurance policy you hope you never have to think about. But in my opinion, when I think of intimacy, and I mean emotional intimacy, it's a resource I hope is constantly in use in my life. That in as many conversations as I can, I am honest and sincere with people, and that they too trust me with the contents of their hearts and minds, and that we have personal interactions. Obviously, that's not always going to be the case, but I do think confusion between these terms leads to some of our social media behaviors, and thus, if our data is ever stolen, it's not just that we've shared information, but that because these platforms are human-centric, we've shared intimate information, hoping it will reach the audience of people, and not the collecting bins of organizations or agents of malicious intent. Yeah, I saw once the phrase that Google knows you better
1: than anyone else. And that's obviously true because of the amount and enormity of the data that they have. But also, just think about the information that we provide to a system like Google. For example, I Google what's this weird bump on my arm? Or how do you know if my partner is cheating on me? Things that are speculative, but also deeply personal and also not yet resolved. Usually, when we are in conversation with someone, we at least have reached a point of resolve within ourselves. The difference is that these companies have the ability to track every point along the way that got us to the decision. I love this way that you framed it, the sense of privacy versus intimacy. And I'd love for us to think about in our own lives, how we forfeit meaning by outsourcing it to the relationships that we believe that we are having in the digital space, which we are having, but also that are facilitated by and predicated on algorithms that are outside of our control. It's not a stretch or a conspiracy theory to say that I only see in my news feed what Facebook decides to show me. And that often is judged on my interests, the people that it both sees me tagged in pictures with, or literally that senses by my device that I'm literally close to. Just all these different points along the way. So to think that I'm seeing a true reflection of people in my life, let alone those that aren't on Facebook or people who
0: might not share certain things on Facebook, in a way, it's all just a fog. Though I hadn't come to this point earlier, some of what you said has helped me reach the conclusion that there is a beautiful and profound truth buried beneath this topic. If you were to search, how do I know if my partner is cheating on me? There's a decent chance that web data and other information could corroborate that you are indeed in a relationship. And while your searching may reveal something about that partner and your relative distrust or concerns related to them, that's another point of data on a graph. And their friends at the same time may be searching for questions that relate to how to console their friend or appease a paranoid partner. And so these searches intersect and help tell a story. Maybe not to an audience we want to read it, but what I find beautiful is that this topic is a reminder of our interconnectedness. That there is a larger, simultaneous, human story unfolding. And however much we may divide ourselves or live in thinly walled apartments where we don't know the people on the other side, there is a lot going on that involves all of us, or at the very least, many of us. And we may not always think about it. So at the very least, I hope this topic would encourage people to be considerate of those who may appear in their photographs or who may be described by revelatory or disparaging posts But also, I hope people would be reminded that they're not alone. And with that great power over the privacy of their friends held in the palm of their digital hands, I find something encouraging in that nonetheless. It is kind of beautiful. We
1: have these small little windows into one another's lives, oftentimes that we might not have otherwise, which is in a way its own gift. It's hard to know how to move forward with this kind of knowledge and conversation just because we are in sort of a new era. There is a new norm. Expectations of privacy and of data are now so commonplace that it's affected, at least I'll say personally, the way that my mind works, the way that my thoughts lead to the next, the way that I think about how to gather information. Which is, again, both a positive and a negative. It means, like we've talked about on previous episodes, I can outsource finding directions to this one place I've never been, because I can just ask my device to do that for me. But also it begs the question, what am I sacrificing in order to do that? Am I sacrificing a level of creativity
0: or personal intimacy? When I think about expectations and the norms in which we live, I do sense a change. And it feels like with the slight possibility of chronological coincidence that the internet is reaching a period of adolescence and so what might have felt like a norm is now being challenged by a cultural waking up if you will many of us in our early years of using the internet have overshared and publicized information that may not be our right to publicize or may bear no benefit in doing so And certainly, all human beings make mistakes and hopefully learn from them. And that's what I think we're currently doing, however gradually and embarrassingly so. And to me, that's the new norm that we are coming to now reconsider what it means to share privacy. And on that point, I have hope that the web might actually influence the real world in a positive way, where we start to consider people's privacy online. And I don't think it's inconceivable that people who are doing that may begin to think differently about their interpersonal relationships offline, and how they can respect the privacy and authorship of those persons. I think you put it well in framing it as a matter of
1: what we are willingly and knowingly doing as opposed to not. There is a fundamental issue of consent here as well, not just a matter of what these companies might be doing, but also again, like what you might post about me. And sometimes that's respected, sometimes it's not. These are complex topics to parse through. Also in doing so both interpersonally and between companies and ourselves, we're also losing that sense of autonomy of what we can actually control, which is a real challenge. In a way, social media, digital media, and even, for example, choices in a retail store are all maybe the most pure sense of autonomy in that we are directing the data that is being made. We are directing the characters that we are constructing online. We are directing the information that is being put into the world. What is more challenging is all the things that we are not conscious of providing. For example, I can write a Facebook status, and that will be a direct choice on my part. But when I mark myself as interested in an event, which obviously I know in my head is public... Facebook might drive that onto more people's feeds in a way that I don't necessarily want. So it's also a matter of how we can operate under these new technologies and in these new systems while still maintaining a sense of control, not just of ourselves, but also of how we
0: are being perceived. And on the topic of control, there are two more contemporary examples I'd like to bring up for the audience. The first of which, in early June of this year, 2018, MyHeritage, a genetic data company similar to those like 23andMe, suffered a security breach, and the password and email information of 96 million users was compromised, only 1.4 million of whom had taken a DNA test. And while science fiction writers could certainly have a field day with that kind of a data breach, I personally don't think it's that likely that these hackers in question are likely to build biological weapons or in some way use this data to target those 1.4 million users. But related to that number, and similar to the Cambridge Analytica example, 1.4 million samples of DNA do not only reflect 1.4 million lives, The parental DNA, which came before, is going to be similar to each of those samples, and similarly, if any of those 1.4 million users are parents themselves, certain things have been compromised for individuals who may not even be members of these websites, and in the case of children, who may be barely cognizant of their own existence in the world, and the fact that their bodies are made up of DNA, and of course the protein products of DNA. And to me, this example is so poignant because the information lost is potentially, literally, the building block of human life. And that's something that some people are willing to sell to companies, which is perfectly their right. I think it is interesting information, and sometimes you can learn very valuable medical information about yourself. But to use that as a bleak example, if your DNA information gets out there, And an insurance company gets a hold of it and says it looks like you're particularly susceptible to this disease or this condition we're going to deny you coverage because we're rather convinced you are going to be a greater cost to us you start running into some bleak ethical territory where your health and life might be seriously at risk now to go to a less extreme example The EU recently passed the GDPR, or General Data Protection Regulation, which addresses a lot of issues of consumer privacy and what companies can or cannot harvest as far as user information. It also requires more tools, clarity, and brevity of terms and conditions so that users have a very clear sense of what data they are sharing. And as one possible outcome of this, there are discussions that photos taken in crowded tourist areas with lots of individuals in the background might now become legal issues because you have visual data on other people in the background who have not consented to be photographed. And people are starting to think about loopholes, how to address this. Would you need to get explicit permission from everyone in a given area or popular tourist location? Perhaps signs should be put up outside of these sites saying you are likely to be photographed and if you cross this threshold, you are implicitly agreeing that your image in this location is no longer your sole property. The MyHeritage example that you brought up is really poignant and also very
1: important to focus on. First of all, because of the type of information that was taken, which is literally personal and also a level of intimacy that not even we know about ourselves without the help of these other organizations. But also more importantly, it raises a point about the recklessness with which we are creating so much data. We being a society, and also we being as individuals. The magnitude and scale of data that we've created is both, in a way, unhelpful for some purposes, and also, more importantly, if there is a purpose, it's often not in the best interest of the subject or individual themselves. So what to do with that information? I guess the answer is your second example, something like GDPR, which I don't know a lot about but is interesting in that it is a milestone over our larger technological conversation of how we, as society, place limits around this sort of data and technology, which is an ever-evolving conversation and one that we are
0: still very much at the forefront of. And Ian, to your points on reflection and the benefits of being well-informed, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this conversation? Head for the hills, y'all. No, but seriously... Especially
1: in the realms of digital and social media, it's amazingly important that we as consumers and as participants in these systems realize at every point along the way that we are in another system. This isn't a natural phenomenon. So approach our digital media with a sense of skepticism, or at least with the knowledge that there is
0: more not being told. And I would propose the following experiment, if you will. For one week, or if that's too long, even a single day, try and count the number of times you reference other people's stories, whether that's online or offline. I'm not making any value judgment if that number is high, nor if it's low, but that number may tell you something about your susceptibility to reveal things via these privacy chains we've been talking about. And lastly, as we'd really been focusing on the interconnectedness of privacy and how our revelations affect other people, what areas of privacy, if any, do you think of that are solely personal and only reveal personal but individual information that doesn't disclose anything about communities, families, or other groups? And of course, Ian, I'd really like to thank you for coming on and making the time today. Kip, it's my pleasure. But of course, as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we're definitely not the only two people who use the internet in self-revelatory ways. So if you have any thoughts, opinions, or feedback of any kind, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show, as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive exclusive perks like bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening, and from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.